So I want to start out this morning with a very quick five-second survey about uh, Hallmark Christmas movies, okay? Uh, who's a fan? All right. And, uh, and who's a foe? There's a couple. All right. There's a few. Um, I have to consider, some of you guys didn't raise your hands, you're hedging your bets there, but uh, I'm a foe. Um, I'm not a big fan of Hallmark Christmas movies, but I also happen to be married to a woman who loves sappy, formulaic, unrealistic. Yes. My favorite description, emotionally manipulative. Um, Hallmark Christmas movies. And so what that means is that I have agreed to sit through at least two this season. Okay, that's, that's my quota. And uh, we've actually watched one already, and um, I didn't throw up. You'll be happy to know, but I can't actually say that I was amused. Um, however, my wife is also married to someone who can't get enough of Marvel and Star Wars and, and Lord of the Rings movies, right? And, and according to my calculations, she has sat through way more of them. Um, so I have nothing to complain about. I'm a blessed man, and if a Hallmark movie makes my wife happy, then bring on the sap, right? Um, it's, the least, it's the least I can do. But with all that said, um, there really is a, a connection. There's something to this Christmas love connection that we don't want to miss. Uh, in fact, I, I don't think it would be an overstatement to say that when you peel back all the trappings and, and the distractions surrounding the Christmas season, and you know there's a lot of them, right? But when you peel them all away, what you're left with is a love story. Uh, the whole reason why this season came to be is because God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. And so we're going to dive into that divine love story just a little bit this morning. We're, we're, we're in a series that's called Advent, and, and Advent, we found, it just means, uh, it's another word for coming or for arrival, and, and Advent is a season that celebrates the Christ who came and who is coming again. And over the past two weeks, we looked at Jesus' second coming, his return, and this week and next week, we're going to focus more in on his first arrival. And, and this morning, specifically on the love of God that led Jesus to that manger. See, it's, it's the love of God. That's what launched Jesus from his home in heaven. And, and not the sappy kind of emotional hallmark kind of love. That's not what we're looking at this morning. The real Christmas story is about the costly deliberate, sacrificial love of God. And, and, and that's what led to the arrival of Emmanuel 2,000 years ago in the form of that frail baby boy who we celebrate this season. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to start in, in verse 7 and read about this divine love story that caused Christmas. I'm going to read through the whole passage, and then we'll jump back and, and, and work through it um, just a little bit at a time. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loves us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay, those are, um, those are six short verses. And I don't know if you picked up a theme there, but that word love is repeated 15 times in one way or another. And, and John is just highlighting here the reality of God's love. Uh, he, he even starts off and he addresses those he's writing to in a very particular way. He calls them beloved. Beloved, it's agapatoi is the Greek word. It literally means loved ones. The, to, to put it in context, the beloved are those who through Jesus, the ultimate beloved, are dearly loved by God. And so he's accentuating that blessing of being God's beloved, that because of Jesus, you are dearly loved by God. And there's a reality to that for us to grab hold of, that we could reorient our entire lives around the fact that we are God's beloved, that because of Jesus, the flow of God's love is pouring into your life, right now. That's it's an amazing reality. And, and here in this passage, there's this invitation that he's extending. Love one another, but I want you to notice that it's set within that context of being the beloved, of being loved by God. So it's, it's saying this, love one another, not because if you do, God will then love you, No, love one another because God already, right now, is loving you. So so to kind of spoil the ending of the sermon and where this passage is leading us to, it's, it's, it's leading us to this reality that we don't work for God's love, we work out God's love. That's that's what it's leading to. But there's this blessing of being called God's beloved. And it applies to anyone who has opened up the door of their hearts to Jesus and responded in faith to him. Once that happens, the Father's love starts funneling into and through your life. And that flow, it doesn't stop. So what that means is that you are beloved right now, today, and tomorrow. And next week, and when you're having a bad day, and even in those moments when you are at your worst and you completely blow it, you're still his beloved. When the father looks at you, what he sees is his own cherished child, the same way he sees Jesus. That's like a foundation of faith. It's so foundational. In fact, that John here in this book, he says... Love is like a litmus test of of genuine faith because being beloved by God, having the flow of the Father's love into your hearts, it's 
It's transformative. There's, it does something. It's efficacious. It, it impacts a person's life in a way that charts on the radar screen. So if you can't find any traces of his love flowing through a person's life, then it's not real faith. Because it's simply not possible to be tapped into the God who is in his very essence love and go on living a loveless life. See, the ultimate blessing is to be addressed identified as God's beloved, dearly loved by God. That's the best thing that you can say about me. I'm God's beloved. The best thing I can say about you is that you are beloved by God. And the fact that we can say that, it's incredible. It's astounding and it's almost unbelievable. And when you think about it, the question is how? How could that possibly be the case? How do we get to a place like that? On what basis can someone lay claim to being beloved by God? That's, that's what this passage is going to go on to answer. And, and the answer is not that it's on the basis of our own merits or our own accomplishments. No one earns the title beloved by God. The answer is that we are beloved because of God's amazing love. That love that led the Father to send the Son. See, we can count on the fact of God's love because of the act of God's love. And verse 9 and 10 are going to describe the ultimate act of God's love. It's a love that's, that's so strong that it turns broken people into his own beloved. And so I want to read through verses 9 and 10. We are going to move Untypically, like we don't typically do this, but we're going to move really slow through these next few verses. One phrase or sometimes just one word at a time because there is, there's, some, there's some jewels to mine here that we don't want to miss out um, about the act of God's love. It says this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So what that's saying, it means that at a moment in time, God made his love known to us in a definitive way. See, he didn't, he didn't hide his love. He expressed it in a profound, no doubt about it, way. And, and so what follows is, this is the way God says, I love you. He says, this in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The way God said, I love you, is by sending his only son into the world. And, and that, of course, is the part of this passage that intersects with, with Advent and with the Christmas story that he sent his only son into the world. So throughout the season, as we you know, reflect on the nativity scene and, you know, the wise men and the angels and the shepherds and the animals and, and that baby in the manger. And you, you wonder, what, what is it all about? It's, it's about God's love. It's the story of God's love unfolding. It's God saying, I love you. It's the ultimate expression of the love of God that he sent his only son 
that that baby lying in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger is it's God's son, it's only son. And that means that he sent his very best, his son to be our savior because the reality is second best was never gonna do. God's only son is the only one who could ever give us what we needed most. And so the reason why he sent his only son into the world, what is it? It's right here in this passage, that we might live through him. Jesus came to give us life, to connect us to life that's full and abundant and eternal. And that life is all, it's bound up in his son. It's bound up in Jesus. This this baby was sent by God, born for us and given to be a lifeline to replace death with life, to turn broken into blessing, to, to restore that connection with our creator, this connection that the human heart is hardwired to have, this connection that sin had severed. And so we read in, in the account of Jesus' birth, unto you a savior is born. You will call his name Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, which means God saved because he will save them from their sins. Jesus came to settle the sin issue. That's the reason why he came, because we have all turned from God, gone our own way to do our own thing, and and, and that only and always leads to separation and isolation and alienation, and ultimately the wages of sin is death. But because of Christmas, the gift of God, which is Jesus, is eternal life, and And that's the only reason why all of our stories don't end with the wages of sin being death because of Christmas, because God sent his only son that we might live through him. Christmas is about God breaking in, intervening to change the way our story ends. And just to make sure we don't get the wrong idea about this, the passage clarifies that This expression of love, it's entirely God's doing. That's what makes the love of God so amazing. So let me just read this verse again. Listen to it. It says, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. I want to just just stop and let's, let's let that resonate and sink in just a little bit. What does that mean? It means that God took the initiative in loving us. It means he didn't sit back and wait for us to make the move, and then when we did the right thing, he responded. He didn't love us in response to anything we did to deserve it. And he didn't love us because there's anything about us that made us lovable to him. It wasn't like God looked at us and said, oh, look at those guys down there, they're so cute. They are just so adorable. I can't help myself. I need to pour out my love on them. That that may be the way the Hallmark stories go, but that's not how God's love story unfolds, right? In fact, it's, it's actually just the opposite of that. He didn't love us because of who we are. He, he loved us because of who he is. He loved us because God is love. And he poured out that love on the unlovable, on people like me 
And like you, while we were still off going our own way, doing our own thing, and even with our fists clenched at our creator, that's when he loved us. Have you ever tried to do that with someone else? Have you ever tried to to love someone who you look at and you just cannot find any good reason why you ought to? Right? Have you ever acted on just for the well-being of someone who is like dead set against you in every way? Jesus calls us, love, love your enemies, right? And, and what he calls us to do is not anything that he hasn't already done himself because that's the way he loved us. His love, the love of God, it's unconditional. And what that means is that it is expressed independent from our response on how we are reacting towards him. It flows from who he is. So since God is in his very nature love, love is what he does. That kind of unconditional love is what it took to give us life, to replace our stories from ending with death and give us life. And that's the love that landed Jesus in the manger. And it's that same love that led Jesus to the cross. And out of love, he went there willingly. He gave his own life so that he would be able to offer us eternal life. In this is love, it says not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When's the last time you heard that word used in a sentence? <laughs> propitiation. I bet it's been a while. Um, but here's the thing, since it's It's kind of right at the very heart of the most profound expression of God's love towards us. I don't know, what do you think? Maybe we should just take a minute and kind of unwrap that one a little bit and and wrap our heads around it. I, I have just an inclination. It might change your life to understand this word. So in some translations... Um, they don't use the word propitiation. It's, it says God sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that kind of gives you a sense of what this word is about. Propitiation, it's about what it takes to resolve a conflict and, and settle whatever it is that someone has against someone else in a definitive way once and for all, over, finished, and done with. In this case, the parties in conflict would be sinful humanity and a holy God because our sin puts us in conflict with a holy God because God's love and his work and his justice, they they work cooperatively together. And what that means is that God cannot just kind of, yeah, you did that, no big deal. I'm gonna just sweep that under the carpet. Go on. Um, He can't do that. And that means this issue of eternal life, it revolves around this question of what is it gonna take for God to stop holding our sins against us? What price could possibly be paid to put an end to whatever it is that stands between you and God once and for all? 
And it's not an easy question to answer. You know that if you have had issues with people in your own life, right? And we all have, haven't we? There's, there's been people who, with, for whatever reason, things go sideways. You did something wrong, you hurt them, they're offended, they push you away, and no matter what you do, they're going to hold it against you forever, right? And, and sometimes you get to the point where you're just like, I don't think there is anything I can do to, to get past it with that person. Maybe you've tried, and no matter what you've done, they just it's never settled. They just keep on holding it there against you. Or, or maybe it's you, right? Maybe you just can't seem to get past how much someone has hurt you. The, the pain is that deep, and it's that real. So the question is, what is it going to take to settle this so we can move forward? Can we move forward together again? Is it even possible? And you know, sometimes it seems like with people, the answer is nothing. But with God, the answer is Jesus. God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means the baby in that manger was born to bury the hatchet and settle everything that stood between you and God once and for all. And Jesus went to the cross and he gave up his life sacrificed it at the atoning sacrifice for sin. And that sacrifice was sufficient. When he died, God said, the issue is settled. I am no longer holding anything against you. So understand, it it wasn't some kind of 50-50 split kind of deal, right? God didn't say, okay, I'll do that. I'll send my son to the cross. Now you go do your part. Jesus did it all. Everything that had to get done got done by Jesus when he gave his life on the cross. This is the way God has shown his love to us. This is the reason why we can be sure about the fact of God's love because of the act of God's love when Jesus died to settle the score. And know this, God is not the type to leave his children, his people, wondering about his love for us or if he's still holding something against us. He doesn't leave us wallowing in insecurity, you know, unsure, like, yeah, you love me today, but your love for me is only as good up until the next time that I screw things up and then I'm, I'm on your bad list again, right? That's not propitiation. Propitiation says it's, it's over and settled and done with. There is no doubt about it. The grudge is gone by God for good. That's, that's God's I love you. That is the reason why broken down people like you and like me get to lay claim to this incredible privilege of being called God's beloved. God's beloved. I, I hope you're starting to see that uh, sometimes, you know, these words, these big words, propitiation, it's not just some kind of abstract theological kind of concept. This is it's transforming truth. And sometimes that needs to get applied to our lives. 
at so many levels. Uh, wasn't long ago, I heard someone who was going through some hardships. And this was, this was his summary of, of what he said. He said, God has his favorites. And based on what I'm going through, I'm just not one of them. You know, sometimes life might seem that way. But when you look at the cross, you can know for sure that that is not true. That is a lie. The only favorite God has is his son, Jesus, and he gave his favorite, his very best, for us so that we might live through him. So whatever the reason may be, for whatever hardships and challenges you may be working through, you can look at the cross and you can know for sure. Whatever the reason is, it's not that God doesn't love me. That issue is settled and over and done with. Propitiation it means things between you and God are good. It means you're beloved, you're loved. You're accepted. It means your creator is he's pouring his love into your heart. And here's the reality. We need that. We need his unconditional love to wash over and to heal what we've experienced in our human relationships, the, the, the rejections, the insecurities. You know, many of us have, have lived with those who instead of of expressing love, express intimidation and fear. And the damage that that has done is real, and yet it can be overcome and healed as the love of God flows into our lives and through our hearts. And the love of God that flows to us, it flows through us. And that's the outcome of God's love. It pours out on those around us. And that's the last part of the passage where it says this, beloved, if God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So if the love of God is funneling into your heart, you're someone who's uniquely equipped to love others with God's love, with that same kind of transformational love that you have been loved with. That we can love not with a selfish love, but with a selfless love. Not, not with a, a love that seems to get, but a love that seeks to give. Not with a convenient love, but a love that's sacrificial, that goes the distance with others, with unconditional love, that loves the unlovable, that love that takes the first step, that love that doesn't just settle for a 50-50, I'll do my part, You're, the rest is up to you. And I don't know, but I got a sense that that's the kind of love the world around us needs. People with the capacity to love others with Jesus' love. You might even say that God wants to pour his love out on other people through his own people, through you. And the question is, are you up for that? Question for us, right? I said at the start, we, we, we don't work for God's love. 
we work out God's love. And in all of our lives, there's people and there's places that desperately need to experience that supernatural, transforming love of God. And it's God's own beloved who are set up to do that and to show it. So there's a good chance that, that you're going to have some opportunities to do that, maybe even just throughout this Christmas season in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I want to tell you it's, it's a great story. It's a great story. It's a story of death coming to life, of brokenness to blessing. It's, it's better than Hallmark. Uh, it's better than Marvel. It's a little bit like Lord of the Rings. Um, but it's, it's something to give ourselves too. And so maybe, maybe this morning, uh, there's this uh, kind of just imagery of, of this faucet of God's love just pouring out, pouring out. And maybe your heart is just closed. The love of God's pouring out, but you're just not letting that love pour in. And so maybe that next step for you is simply opening up your heart to God's love, letting his love start working in you, trusting in Jesus for the first time. Uh, maybe it's just getting reacquainted, allowing yourself to get blown away again at the amazing love of God, that it's so great, it's so amazing, and just, just letting that, just soaking that in. Or maybe it's, it's time for that love that's coming to you to start flowing through you and say, Lord, I, I want you to love others through me with your love. Let's go for it. Let's share that. Let's pray together. Lord.